Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are exploring the changing rules of business leadership and how CEOs are navigating this change. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. And I'm Michal Avram. Alan, the global supply chain, it used to be a very boring few words. It's not anymore. Um, it is very, very top of mind and top of the media cycle for quite a while. Um, it has been deeply disrupted by COVID, the war in Ukraine, amongst other factors, as we all know. And it's something that you've written about quite extensively, um, Alan. So I'm guessing you, like me, uh, despite your early interest in the topic, know way more about it today than you did pre-COVID. <laughs> I had no early interest in the topic. It was Supply chain was one of those things you sort of categorized as boring, keep me away from it. But I agree with you. It, we've learned so much about it in the last three years. And I'm really excited that today's uh, Leadership Next guest is one of the superstars of supply chain management. Uh, his name is Dave Clark. He's probably best known for the 23 years he spent at Amazon, joined in the late uh, 1990s, and is credited with building out its current logistics infrastructure. Logistics is another thing we didn't used to talk about a lot, uh, uh, Mahal. Dave ended his tenure at Amazon as CEO of Worldwide Consumer Business and left in June of 2022. Soon after that, he became the CEO of Flexport. And I'm sorry I had you pegged as a supply chain geek um, pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dave is very much the, the, the rock star of the supply chain world. Um, and September 1st was actually his one-year Flexport anniversary. Um, for those of you who don't know much about Flexport, it's a 10-year-old shipping logistics company. It's primarily known for its freight forwarding, which is basically wholesale shipping. Um, and under Dave, the company is transforming into an end-to-end -end supply chain platform. So kind of like Amazon, no surprise there, but not for Amazon, basically for, for other businesses. Um, amongst other things, Flexport is focusing on building out the e-commerce um, leg to, to the last mile of the supply chain. Which has changed all of our lives, Mahal. I mean, the ability to go online today and get something tomorrow is just is just mind blowing. I'm sorry I wasn't able to join you for this interview, uh, but in addition to his vision for Flexport, uh, I'm also really curious, Mahal, about what elements of the Amazon culture that he has brought to Flexport. I hope you had a chance to talk with him about that. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that, uh, you know, some people, uh, from what I've heard, were concerned about at Flexport. And and Dave was very forthcoming about that. Um, he has brought some of the, the culture from Amazon to Flexport, and he's kept some of the Flexport culture. And, you know, he really talked about it in sort of a creating something that's new and, and differentiated. And he also talked a lot about, you know, different companies at different stages require not only different leadership, but different cultures. Um, and so I thought that was a, a really interesting part of the, the conversation. Um, you know, he really um, likened the stage that Flexport is at to some of the earlier growth that he got to to live through and to lead through at Amazon. Um, so that was cool to hear about. Well, I'm really bummed I wasn't able to join you for this conversation. I hear you also talked about some, uh, gave some very useful advice 
about the current state of the supply chain and why we should all order our holiday gifts early this year. Yeah, absolutely. Get get started now, Alan. Um, Dave had some some good holiday shopping advice for all of us. Let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Dave Clark of Flexport. Dave, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on a one-year anniversary at Flexport. I'm going to start actually going back a little a little bit um, in your career history. You spent a lot of your career at Amazon, of course, and you've really been credited a lot with building out Amazon's current logistics structure. So I want to just have you kind of take us back in time, you know, in those early days of the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, what were the biggest challenges as you scaled at a very, very rapid clip? Thanks. And uh, thanks for having me on. This is, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And you're right. It's, it's hard to believe it's been a year already at Flexport, but it's, it's we've had a lot of fun in that amount of time. And, you know, you asked about, you know, early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands and Amazon. Uh, it's interesting. It feels very nostalgic here at Flexport in the first year because it has that same kind of feel to it. Uh, when I joined Amazon, it was a still a relatively small company. You know, lots very well known company, obviously, but uh, very small still. And really making the pivot from startup and lots of people sort of running on adrenaline, just doing things for customers every day, trying to find a way to make it work, uh, pivoting into a company that really had systems and processes and a, a sort of approach to work and to process and technology. And, and I think that's the journey we've been on the last year at, at Flexport since I've been here as well, which is sort of transitioning from a company that's a great base of talent and people who are just dedicated to the customer and the mission and do whatever it takes every day to, to make it work and bringing in a group of people who have sort of seen the movie of scaling and developing big world-class uh, operating companies. So it kind of feels a lot like uh, that journey back in the day. And just going back to some of the the earlier challenges, were most of those just having the right team in place? Were they technological, uh, you know, or, or other types of hurdles? Like what what were they earlier on, and what's easier, if at all, today? Well, I, I think in in all these cases, everything really starts with the quality of the team you have to do the work. You know, mm-hmm. the the quality of the leadership team and and. Uh, how on mission are the people all the way down the line in the company? And uh, I think in both those cases, the, you know, the luckiest part for me is that you know, in my two you know, employment experiences in the last 20 years, uh, both places are unbelievably mission-driven and all the way down the stack in terms of just making the world a better place for the customers who use our tools and services. And uh, I think Amazon in that time period was less a technical challenge. I mean, there were technical challenges, of course, in scaling, uh, it, it, but it was largely also inventing an industry, like teaching customers that this, ma- you know, that hey, e-commerce is a thing, and you know, you can get packages delivered, and it's not just the old catalog system, and you know, you can think of the world and shopping in a very different way. So there's a big consumer education element to it. I think was part of the. You know, among the biggest challenges in you know those early days at Amazon, also a big physical challenge in that you know while today there are lots of companies that do order fulfillment uh, and shipping, you know, taking two or more things and put them in a box and bring them to your house. People didn't know what that was uh, in '99 and 2000, and so there's a lot of invention required just in the model. For Flexport, it's a little bit different in that it's it's a little less invention in the model, uh, but it is a it's technically complicated. 
and it's a it's a space where there aren't a lot of players that have both the physical experience and the technical expertise. You know what you see in supply chain today is probably the last great unplatformed, you know, unstructured data in the world. You know, it's even the best companies in the world, uh, many of them use dozens of software packages to try to figure out you know, what's happening with the product movement around the world and how do they engage with it. And everybody wants to solve it, but nobody's really taken it on. Everybody takes on slices of it. And so the, I think probably the big difference for Flexport right now is we've sort of stepped in and say, hey, we have a leadership team that has done this before. We've solved this problem in a really large environment uh, like Amazon. And we think we can solve that for everybody else too. We have the the mix of technical capability and large scaled physical real world global operations capabilities to bring those together for our customers. Uh, and that's you know we already do a lot of that for people moving freight around the world, and we're just going to get better at that. But it's about now how do you move further up and downstream from that base uh, to to make it easier so that. You know, in essence, every company can have the same kind of supply chain capability, cost, and experience as you know the Amazons and the WalMarts of the world. Real quick, um, I, I feel like a lot of us got a bit of a crash course in supply chain uh, over the last few years, living through COVID, realizing that not everything is going that you want is always going to be at your doorstep, and that it's actually quite complicated and can have massive ripple effects. Right, um, but there's still a lot that that we don't understand uh, about just all of the complexity. So can you just give us a brief overview of exactly what Flexport does? What does it sell? How does it make money? What does it oversee? What does end-to-end supply chain actually mean in terms of the product that you're selling? A surprising number of people really added in epidemiologist and supply chain professional to their LinkedIn profiles over the last three or four years. <laughs> Definitely people learned a lot about some spaces they weren't expecting to, to be part of. Uh, and I think it's supply chain is one of those things that people used to not think it was like, you know, it just magically happens, right? You know, I go to the store, I see the thing, I pay for the thing, thing shows up at my house. You know, when I was at Amazon, my job was to make sure you never, ever had to think about it. If you had to think about it being something other than magic, it meant we like we screwed it up. And so what we do at Flexport today, so the foundation of the company is really about making global trade easy. It's about... Uh, a company, small or big, being able to go to anywhere in the world, to their manufacturer, source their goods, and have those goods make it at low cost, uh, high accuracy and high predictability from wherever they're made to wherever they're sending them to in the U.S. or Europe or whatever part of the world, and that we successfully get that product through customs uh, and through every step of the way uh, seamlessly for those customers. Now, that's what Flexport was founded on. That's the base of what we do. That's really today, as we sit here, how we make our money. It's, it's where the revenue comes from. Uh, but we're using that as a base to expand off of going forward. And that starts with the acquisition we made of Shopify Logistics and the Deliver uh, acquisition, which now gives us capability to add fulfillment, uh, both customer fulfillment to the door, distribution fulfillment to the store or to other distribution centers, uh, we could replenish the Amazon network or the Walmart network or to an individual company's stores for them, or we can ship directly to the customer. And so now we actually have physical capability end to end. So we can pick up your goods at the manufacturer and we can deliver it to wherever you want them in the U.S., the customer's door, the store, the distribution center. We can do all that for you end to end. So that, that's one piece. That's kind of the capabilities layer. 
what we're adding to that is the uh, is basically the data analytics and optimization layer, uh, the sort of orchestration layer, if you will, which is the piece that a lot of people don't do. You, you have a lot of verticals doing one slice or the other. They'll they'll move your freight, they'll do your trucking, they'll do your fulfillment, or they'll track your data across the system. But really, there's nobody integrating all those things so that you can control it. So we're building an orchestration layer that allows you to track, monitor, and manage all of your inventory from the time you place the purchase order with the manufacturer till the time it's made and through every step of the process. You know, if one thing we've all learned, supply chain professionals have always known that the number one thing about supply chain is something always goes wrong. You know, it's the sort of the Mike Tyson thing is like everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And a supply chain is kind of like that every day. And we all knew that, but now everybody else has discovered it too. And so our job is to sort of recognize that we're about to get punched in the face before it happens through AI and technology, provide the tools and capabilities to adjust to what's happening in real time so that companies can resolve their supply chains, resolve their issues, and get more, you know, be more in stock more predictable at lower costs for their customers, which basically allows them to sell more stuff and allows them to lower costs and be more in stock for their customers. How are things looking now? Obviously, a, a, a little bit removed from you know the height of COVID. Um, how would you assess the current situation with global supply chain um, and logistics? And, and what are you most concerned about over the next few years? as another one of those moments where you get punched in the face. I think what you're seeing now is largely uh, the supply chains are returning to more normal states and conditions. It, we're sort of back to sort of maybe traditional problems like, hey, we, we don't get enough rain this year, so the Panama Canal is a little backed up because we, you know, there's not enough rain to get all the boats through there. Or, hey, there's a hurricane off the Pacific. You know, there, there's those are the... There's always those things that are kind of the status quo of problematic issues and supply chains. And so we're back to that. Uh, I think more than anything, what we see across the industry right now is uh, companies are very conservative today on reordering. You know, there was a lot of excess inventory coming out of COVID. Or, you know, there was big consumer demand in 22. Then consumers sort of rebalanced spend to services. And that slowed spend down on on stuff. Uh, meanwhile, all that stuff was either backed up in a port or was on order for manufacturing. So you, you sort of ended 2022 and started 2023 with a lot of companies with as much as a year or more of excess inventory and stuff, which really put their balance sheets in tough spots and slowed down their buying, which is why you see in China sort of for the first time in you know as modern history of trade, you know, China sort of stepping, you know, reducing its year-over-year -year imports. And that's really, I don't think it's structural from a China perspective. I think it's structural from a, there's just too much, it's rat through the snake. There's too much inventory in flight uh, and it's just being absorbed by the system. So I, I think we'll start to see that normalize next year, but we may very well see a holiday season this year that's a recession uh, by supply, not recession by demand, in that consumers want things but can't get them. If you have kids who have, want the, the toy of the year, get it early. Uh, because the odds are that in many places, companies were very conservative. They'd rather run out in many cases than to be overstocked going into 24. 
And that, that there's a bias there, I think, that is sort of switched. So in some ways, it's kind of a, a return to the issues that we had during, I mean, not exactly the full scope of issues, but some of the issues we had during COVID, where you can't get what you want when you want it. As a consumer, it may look like that, but for different reasons. I think companies will be able to respond much quicker because the supply chains will be relatively clear and companies will be able to respond in the holiday and coming out of the holiday. And that, that's part of how we're positioning ourselves for customers for our customers is to make sure that they know the options we have to get them their freight to the US or to Europe faster. So that if they decide in the middle of the holiday, oh, we need it, we need a last, we gotta find a way to get last minute replenishment. Here's ways we can expedite freight through, you know, we, we've got you know our own 747s in the air now, and uh, we've got access to a lot of expedited uh, space uh, on ocean vessels. So there's a lot we can do to help our customers get there faster when they discover they need that demand. And that's where like our relationships with Shopify and with all these other partners uh, help us a lot because it gives us expedited paths of inventory uh, into networks uh, as the as supply gets to the U.S. So for consumers, though, they should stock up on Barbies now, basically, is what you're saying. If it's hot, get it early. <laughs> Jason Gerzadis, the CEO of Deloitte U.S., is the sponsor of this podcast and joins me today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. I have a sense, Jason, from conversations on Leadership Next and elsewhere that business leaders today better understand the benefits of having a diverse set of voices at the management table. But what are some of the lessons you've learned through Deloitte's own DEI journey? Yeah, lots of lessons learned. I think we've certainly made progress. We feel like that's a function of a couple of things. Deloitte is very proud to have published twice a transparency report that sets forward long-term expectations for the diversity of our workforce and how we hold ourselves accountable. That is meant to be, and I think has served to be, a role model stance for us to take and one that we encourage all businesses to replicate. The second is to get specific. In addition to transparency, the specific objectives around gender diversity, around Black and Hispanic Latinx, as well as other cohorts that we have really established not only a recruitment and retention, but also advancement goals for. And finally, adding to the mix how we intend to hold ourselves accountable for supplier diversity, as well as longer term ambitions for us in this space. So our experience is somewhat emblematic of what a lot of large organizations go through, but for us, the commitment and transparency, as well as the specificity around cohorts has made a difference. And we've seen positive results in the last two years that we're hoping to build upon. Do we declare success? Absolutely not, but it's made all the difference for us. Jason, thanks for your perspective and thanks for sponsoring Leadership Next. Thank you. I want to go back a, a bit to just what you were saying before about building out the team. What did you learn? Um, obviously, you know, like you said, Amazon evolved significantly and dramatically, dramatically while you were there. Um, what did you learn from those days about building out a strong team and how are you applying that today? Maybe the biggest thing for me is uh, hire the team for the business you're building, not the team for the business you have. Uh, it's if you in a very fast growth environment where you you know you really intend to go from here to a scaled environment very quickly. Uh, that's a tough transition for leaders to just grow into fast enough. And you know over the course of time at Amazon, like one of the biggest challenges is getting people to to grow fast enough with the business to keep up with the size of their role because they can have the same job, 
three years from now, and that job three years from now is you know three times the size or more than it was three years before. Like it's a completely different set of problems uh, and leadership challenge and scope. And that's a hard challenge to get everybody to grow to that. So uh, it's a little bit of a tough financial pill to swallow, but you really are much better off, in my opinion, to start with a more senior set of leaders at the very top who know what they want to build and who can mentor people all the way down the organization to the right place as you grow. And so if you look at Flexport's leadership team, you know, we really have the leadership team for the company we want to be in three years and five years, not the company that we are today. We're kind of an embarrassment of riches in leaders today in terms of the quality of the team uh, that we've, you know, that's been willing to come be part of this journey. Uh, and, you know, this group could go run, you know, many, many much larger companies than what we are today, but it goes to the aspiration of what we all believe is possible for our customers over and how much we think they want these products and what the scope and scale, what we believe will grow to in that time window. Um, were there concerns when you were coming in and, and, and after that, the obviously the culture I'm sure has changed. Um, this is a, a big transition um, in bringing on a new, you know, somewhat new leadership team. But were there concerns that, you know, the, the company would become more like Amazon for better or worse. I mean, Amazon has such a distinct culture, such a distinct way of operating down to like how you would hold meetings. How do you even navigate that? So at Flexport, I, I'm trying to, from my point of view, I'm trying to be more of a, ba- a balance of, there's a lot of things that I think work incredibly well at Amazon that, you know, and has served Amazon very well and other companies do as well. You know, m- many of the things in Amazon's culture weren't invented at Amazon. They just were executed very well at Amazon. And so uh, that tends to be more my approaches. Like these are the things that I think are important to allow us to execute and develop for our customers. And then there are other things that are you know, more uh, to my personality or maybe the personality of what I, I would like our company to be. Um, like I want us to have the, you know, the same or better passion and, and delivery of execution than like an Amazon culture brings. Uh, but I'm also okay having a good time while we do it. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very steeped in the dark arts of sarcasm and we're doing good things for the world, but we're, you know, we're not, you know, like, it's okay. We can still laugh and we can have a good time together and, and we, we can, we can find ways to enjoy together what we're building without every minute needing to be, you know, the weight of the world on every decision. And so uh, I, I guess I want to be able to have a balance of the two. And so what I hope people say after a year is uh, that, you know, they have a collective bit of culture, which is there's a part of Flexport that was, you know, that's really great. And there's a part of the new people that came in that were really great. And we also added people who weren't Amazonian uh, or Flexport people that have come in. You know, Cherian joined us uh, from Salesforce and Microsoft, and like, he's been fantastic and has really brought some interesting technology culture stuff to us that like none of the rest of us had or it was like a whole nother little flavor the ideal outcome is the best of takes root and your culture is what you do right you know your behavior and how you act every day what you ask about what you what you measure what you reward that's what becomes your culture and we won't really know what our culture is for another year or two you know until it really has a chance to bake in and become a thing that takes on a little bit of a life its own and then i think we'll begin to put some text and language around trying to describe what it actually is we are. But in the meantime, 
I think what we have is a great group of people, family that is kind of coming together, a team that is sort of saying, well, what is the best of and how do we really like working together and what works best in this industry and in this group of people? And that's that operating rhythm is becoming the culture. And not taking yourself too seriously, it sounds like, even as you, you know, go about doing this incredibly tough and impactful work across the globe, really. We ship stuff. Yeah, it's stuff people need or want. I mean, look, it's important (laughs) stuff. Like, it's very important stuff, and people need it, and people, we'd be in a world of hurt without it, but we ship stuff. Like, it's not, like, it's okay. Like, it's incredibly important. We take Mm -hmm. it very seriously. Uh, You know, sometimes you can just get too intense about it where you... Uh, you can lock a team up like you need to, you know, the best uh, builders have a looseness to them. I think like they're very, they're, they tend to be perfectionists. They really want things to be the way they want them. They're really passionate about it. You you don't have to tell them to work harder. Like it's not like, you know, like, like you kind of got to get them to, you know, you need to relax a little bit to let the creative piece happen and to be okay making some mistakes. Like, you know, we're going to screw some things up, uh, especially, in a world where there's a lot of humans operating and a lot of weather and oceans and like, there's a lot of variability inducing elements in supply chain. Well, let me ask you about the technology piece here and, and really what you're excited about. I know you talked about the acquisition you made, um, but at the core, I mean, both Amazon and Flexport are just deep tech driven companies, very innovative companies. Um, what are you most excited about having impact on supply chain going forward? Um, I mean, there's so much robotics and automation and obviously um, AI, and I, I don't know what you guys are looking at on, on that front um, and if generative AI plays a role here going forward. But what's what's going to, what do you think over the next, you know, three to five years is going to have the most impact? You know, if you had a quiet moment with some supply chain professionals and they were, you know, they would admit it, maybe the most scary elements or most challenging elements of being a supply chain leader is lack of visibility and lack of control. You know, you're constantly up against variability of that the world generates. Uh, you have a lot of partners. The data is not great and not particularly standardized. Uh, and you tend to operate in companies that don't see supply chain as the strategic investment. If they have 100 software developers to put to work, they're probably going to put them to work on go-to-market and product and you know, other spaces and less likely to put it to work in supply chain and distribution and fulfillment. And so you feel a little bit behind the, you know, on the back foot a bit. And what I want to do is take this the supply chain professionals around the world and move them to the front foot because uh, we can give them data and we can integrate with the best partners in the world and we can use AI and ML and we can give them tools and capabilities to predictively uh, make changes to have their environment be better uh, as they go forward for their company and for their customers in a way where they can actionably take control over their environment in a much more direct way than today, where today it's a lot of, you know, I need a new provider or I got to go negotiate somebody who's better or I've got, you know, it's a, they're, they're big levers. And we think we can give them the, the, the really the tools, the technology tools uh, and the partnership capabilities to have a, a much more refined, repeatable uh, experience for them and their companies. Okay, I'm going to ask you a last question that maybe has nothing to do with supply chain and maybe does. Um, but 
what books are you reading currently or what's a book that you read recently that an, made an impact? Do you, do you only read about supply chain? I'm guessing not. <laughs> I don't only read about supply chain, but you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I don't do a ton of long form reading. If you ask me to sit down for more than 10 minutes at a time, it's a challenge. So I do a lot of short for a lot of periodical reading, a lot of like, I, I like I follow a lot of different experts in different forums and kind of read what they're doing. Uh, the, I will say the the current only real book I'm doing right now is called The Big Rich. It's a book on Texas and like all the Texas families. I'm, you know, I moved to Texas two years ago. And so I'm getting my education on Texas and the history of sort of oil and how oil propagated through Texas. Uh, and I will say it's a, there is a fast, there's some fascinating parallels in there to where like, all of these major sort of booms and busts that have happened over the years, uh, almost all of the, the places that the people who took best advantage and had the longest uh, sort of win streaks tended to be the people who uh, operationalized their scale and operationalized the supply chains on the backside of it to make it work, whether that's oil or technology and the cloud services providers or you know, supply chain and fulfillment, you know, look at Walmart and Amazon. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, both those companies are predominantly supply chain companies with retail entities sitting on top of them. You know, you know, Walton was a genius who basically figured out how to like get all the cogs out of like moving stuff around and created stores optimized around his logistic footprint. You know, Amazon's basically a supply chain technology company with a marketplace. And like, if you go, you can go example by example. And I think what you see is these all these big booms and busts tend to sit on some kind of physical and uh, this sort of real world supply chain of some form that has to make it work, whether it's chips and data centers and power or trucks and ships and containers or whatever it may be. And it, it, this intersection of uh, sort of this Venn diagram of people, uh, real world messiness and technology uh, is I think the most fun place on the planet to live. And it's what I get up and run to work to do every day. Way to bring it back to supply chain. Um, very well done. Um, thank you so much for for joining us. And again, congratulations on one year. We would love to have you back in you know a year or two to talk about that kind of fully baked culture and what that looks like. Um, but thanks again for for being with us today, Dave. No, happy to be here. Next time, it may need to be a longer session because we're going to launch so much stuff between here and the next session. We, we may need a little more time to talk, but this was we'll fun. Ma we'll make time for it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Leadership Next is edited and produced by Alexis Hott. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Our executive producer is Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a product of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 